Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is the founder and CEO of Taboo, Natalie Waltz. Previously, Natalie was the VP of Marketing and Communications at the Turner Group, or TCG, consulted for high-growth companies such as Clio and Cloud Kitchen, was also an early employee of Collective Health, and served as a product advisor to Daddy. Now, Natalie's on a mission to disrupt the sexual wellness space for the betterment with Taboo, a new kind of sexual wellness brand for bodies that change. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for this. I know I think you and I kind of touched upon it too, but you know, I think the work that you're doing right now in the space that you're operating in is truly revolutionary and honestly very needed, especially too. So I'm sure that we'll, we'll kind of go ahead and dive into that here shortly. But to kick us off, can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. Um, and I mean, as you mentioned in my bio, I'm a marketer. You know, I um, started my career in DC in the crisis communications practice group at HK, moved over to um, San Francisco where I joined a company called Collective Health. And I had that true startup experience, you know, joined an employee five, left at 500, got to see it through tremendous growth. Five years into that journey, I moved down to Southern California, started consulting for a few brands before finding my next home as um, VP of Marketing at the Trinan Group, or TCG Capital, which is an investment firm really narrowly focused on building thoughtful consumer brands and platforms across a variety of different verticals. And I would say while I was there, the menopause category started to really heat up. People were paying a lot more attention to that season in life. And I learned some outrageous facts, frankly, about how prevalent the sexual health side effects specifically of menopause are. To the tune of up to 90% of women can experience pain or discomfort during sex, so much so that 50% five zero just stop being sexually active altogether in their 50s. Now, these numbers were so big, they really caught me off guard, and I hung up the phone and instinctively texted my mom. And I said, hey, do you or your friends have pain or discomfort during sex? She laughed at me for a fair amount of time before we get a really sobering conversation. You know, she knew exactly what was happening to her body, admitted it wasn't just physical, but deeply emotional, really affecting how she feels about herself and her relationship with my stepdad. And quite frankly, I was stunned. It quickly dawned on me that this was the first sex talk I'd ever had with my Muslim Middle Eastern mother. She was born in Syria. This isn't table talk for us. But number two, I was almost bothered that I had no idea that something was so meaningful was going on. I talked to her at least once a day, and this was clearly affecting her confidence, her self-worth, her relationships, and ultimately her health. And so I became obsessed with this problem, truly. This was end of January 2020, right before the world shut down. And I started talking to my aunts, family, friends, my future mother-in-law, and I have gotten really close. And I learned so many women in my life whom I loved were feeling just like her. So my next move was to go to doctors because I was so far from an expert, but I could recognize that the physical and emotional benefits of sex wouldn't just magically expire when we could no longer procreate. So I wanted to understand, you know, what gives and where do women go for help? And I learned a lot of things. But one of the things that I learned was that you have a lot of doctors recommending women use regular sexual activity or a sexual wellness routine to treat and prevent the very symptoms that are keeping you from sex in the first place. Things like vaginal atrophy, dryness, incontinence, low libido, low body confidence, which is such a big one, stress, and so much more. And so in practice, that meant you have doctors telling women to go out and buy a vibrator, lubricant, and think of sex differently. Really think about it as part of your overall wellness routine. 
I joke all the time, I know I've told you this, that my mom can't say the word vibrator out loud. So she's not going to do that. And at 50, she's quicker to just assume, you know, this part of her life is unfortunately over. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard, this is just what happens when you get older, right? And so that's really the challenge and the opportunity we saw with Taboo was could we create a brand and product experiences that really celebrate and honor sexual wellness as our bodies change with products that feel more akin to what you would expect from a high-end skincare brand than a sexual wellness company, curated and personalized content to help you understand why you're doing what you're doing, and services to connect women to thoughtful experts across the care continuum. I'll stop there because I'll talk about it forever. So you can ask me. No, that was amazing. I feel like every single time too that we get a chance to connect, I get so more and more educated about what's really happening. And you're saying it so thoughtfully that, you know, you're addressing a solution and creating this solution, but you know, like it's a problem that we're facing right now. And you're speaking to all the different challenges that these women are facing. And I think one of the really big call outs that I've gotten from you, if not many of them too, by the way, is that you're really leveraging education and also content to be able to create this community and stimulate such meaningful conversations. And it's a type of conversations that, frankly, people are afraid still to be able to have. They're afraid to be able to say out loud. They're afraid that they're facing these different challenges. Is, is that right? Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when you step back and think about, you know, common guidance when you when starting a company, right? Usually people say content to commerce, or usually they say start with services, build into products. I had a lot of conviction that with this demographic, we needed to start with products first and then move into these other things. And the reason why is because of what you're saying. This is a really hard thing to talk about, but it's a really big problem. And I think that we had a better chance of building that really that really strong and loyal customer relationship with someone if we were able to delight her with a product experience that made her feel something first. So first, what we wanted to do was really lean into that kit, really make sure that it was beautiful, it was surprising, it was intentional, it had all of the things that she needed to really think about what it means to her to get this part of her life back, right? And then from there, she's felt something. She's getting, she's she's willing to, you know, try this. She, her, her, her interest is peaked. Like there's, there's, there's an energy and um, an excitement to this again. And then that opens the door for us to do a lot of education and a lot of guidance. And so as an example, we had so many um, incoming questions come to our inbox. Like we're a team of two people, so we could not we could not do it all. And we would leverage our, our, our uh, medical advisors constantly. And what we started to do was we were like, okay, we have so many questions coming through. There's so much appetite for education. We're gonna roll out something called office hours. So once a month, we have these meetings where I host a conversation with one of, one of our medical advisors and we cap registrants at 100 people. And anybody who subscribes to our mailing list, whether you're a customer or not yet, um, can come and join. And it's totally anonymous. It's totally free of charge. And they ask any question that they have about their sexual health under the sun. These have been really rewarding because not only are we getting people, you know, to come every meeting, of course, we actually reach our maximum registrants within 24 hours of putting these live. 
But people are coming back every single meeting and it's the same people. And what they say to us is they're not coming back because they have a net new question necessarily. They're coming back because they want to learn from what other people have to say. They want to understand like maybe I don't have the words for what I'm going through, but someone else might try. And so I'm going to hear that question and I'm going to learn something um, along the way. And so it's been this really beautiful way for us to leverage education and services, but really build community, which is I think at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do. And you're touching on such important concepts when it comes to thinking about creating this community. And if I look back about how successful brands are able to build that community, it kind of stems back to the founders and the executives teams um, kind of value and overall mentorship. And reflecting back to you on your personal story, I mean, definitely mentorship has played such a critical role in creating that company, it seems like, from ultimately getting guidance from your mother to get inspired to launch Taboo. So can you talk about this this concept and this theme specifically? How has it shaped the way that you lead? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, if I didn't have my mentors, my family, my support system, I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. I think at the, you know, at the end of the day, I lean on them just tremendously. I think you and I have talked about this a lot. Like the founder journey can be lonely and the last couple of years have been difficult for everyone. And it's been a, you know, a challenging time to start a company or to really do a lot of things. And so I think it's been so critical for me to lean on the people in my life. And, you know, as I mentioned, the idea for, you know, my very private conservative family to have to explain to their peers and their friends and their their family that I'm starting a, you know, a company in this space has been difficult, right? And, um, and at times it's, it's been really challenging, but the ways in which that they've just wrapped their arms around, around me and this idea. And I think because they see that it's for a higher purpose and they see that, yes, it's uncomfortable to talk about these things, but, you know, we have the ability to really change people's lives in a really meaningful way. Like sex is a very intimate, private, but powerful part of our life. And I think this community that we're in particularly focused on is so unrepresented in the sexual wellness conversation. And so we want to tell them that your sex life matters too. It, you know, it just doesn't just matter for Gen Z. It doesn't just matter for me or you. It matters in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Like we have women in their 80s that are feeling more alive than they have um, in a really long time. And that's a really powerful thing. And so I think I've been able to lean on my mentors, not only in discrete ways on how do you do this and how do you do that? And I'm freaking out about X and Y, like walk me through it. But also just to kind of give me that, you know, grace of this is going to take time and what you're doing matters and lean on us um, as much as you can to kind of figure out, you know, how to get from A to B. It's been really, really, really special. I love that. And also to the way that you're speaking to, I always think because um, I'm in the, the sports and athletic space, I always think of it as like it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? But then even deeper than the marathon is that in true, true entrepreneurship and in true, true of being a founder, there isn't like this big destination, right? Yeah, sure. You can talk about like acquisitions and IPOs, but like there's no true destination. It's truly about the journey of being the founder. And the way that you speak about it is like very, very eloquent. I love the story. However, I also do want to unpack a couple of the perhaps even just like key experiences that have happened in your journey along the way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh man, some key experiences. Um, that's such a good, a good question. Um, I mean, I think look like being a sexual wellness founder and a menopause founder, when we are just as a society starting to pay attention to sex and starting to get, you know, VCs and investors to say, 
you know, your vice clauses shouldn't include this important part of our health, right? And then similarly, you're having people be like, hold on a second, is the menopause category big enough? Like, is that a big enough market? So there were a lot of things, I think, against us in the beginning. And I, coming, you know, from, you know, a venture environment, I was an investor myself, but I was like in those rooms and at those tables, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to raise money. We're going to build this thing. Our vision is beautiful. I had drank the Kool-Aid, obviously, because I made it, you know, and I was there. I was present. I had all these expectations for how this was going to go. And none of that went my way. None of that went my way. It was, it was, can you, first of all, you're, you're being confronted with is sex something that people are going to, you know, be able to accept in the mainstream. And there's, you know, leaders ahead of us that have done beautiful things there, like the mods and the dames of the world. But the second piece of that was, okay, you're saying sex, and then you're also saying sex for older women. Like, it, it, it may, it appeared that we were trying to go after a really small problem. And so, I decided to take a step back and I was like, okay, if this is what I'm going to be confronted with, I can prove this market exists without relying on VC dollars. And so that was the first kind of really pivotal shift for me was to take a step back, reassess and say, what do I need to get a product to market? How quickly can I do that with like how few dollars really raised and really relied on my network? We raised 70K. We raised 70K from friends and family. And um, that's how we got everything to market. My fiance built the site on nights and weekends. I threw together the brand in Adobe. I am not a designer. But like we did this, the, the bare minimum to get something that we were proud enough of to market. And um, I think that really helped us prove like, look, with so little dollars, this is what we can do. Imagine if you fueled this with more, um, like what we could do next. So I think that was really important. That's amazing. I think one of the big themes too is just showing traction. And I get in these conversations, you and I don't know if you've experienced this before with some past portfolio companies, but I think one of the challenges that we face is that the majority of us, I know I certainly am, I'm a big perfectionist, right? Like When I'm going to launch something, I want it to be 100%. I don't want to have to redo it. Um, and I want it to be perfect, right? But I think you're touching on something incredibly important when it comes to not only just like proving that something works and proving that an opportunity exists, but also proving to the consumers as well that there is something for them and that we're working on something for them. And I think that honestly is probably not even just equally, but probably a little bit even more important than investors. Proving to the investors is, is fantastic, but I think proving to the consumers that there's something for them is even greater, would you say? I feel that like in my bones when you say that. I think that's so true. And I think that it's learning how to balance your perfectionism, cis part of you, whatever, um, with your willingness to be vulnerable and always learn. So like when you first launch a company, you may think, I know exactly what the next two, three, four years are going to look like. That's the like front you're bringing to the world. But in reality, like you're in learning mode, like you're trying to take in as much information as possible. You need to stay as open and as vulnerable as possible to have your customer and the market teach you where to go next. And I think learning that balance has been really important for me um, and hard, frankly, like it's been a stretch for me personally, because it's like, you, you want to have everything figured out. It's that type A, like we have to know where we're going. We have to know what we're doing, but being flexible enough to be like, hold on a second, we're getting new information and this is going to shift us a different direction. To be very like clear about this, I thought we were a menopause company. 
in the beginning. It's like we're a menopause brand. I was so fascinated by the market. I still am to this day. And I thought, okay, maybe the our wedge into it is sexual wellness, and then we're going to build into the all like thirty some odd you know symptoms that come come you know with this transition in life. And I really quickly realized we're not. I really quickly realized we're a sexual wellness brand, and there's space to be a sexual wellness brand that speaks to a different kind of sexual wellness buyer. And I have to lean into that, and I need to tell that story. And I think that means that I can focus on women of a certain age to start, but then stretch into these other areas and find that you know space that I think you know the other brands are not moving into. Um, and, and that's one of those things that, like, if I were to stuck to my guns in the beginning, we would have never been able to learn, you know, that and, and learn that from the market. One one of our advisors said to me once, like, I'm 65 years old, you calling me postmenopausal is like calling me postpubescent, you know, like, I went through it, this happened to me, like, if, if you know, a, a brand was marketing to you and I as postpubescent people, we'd be like, these guys probably don't know who we are, you know what I mean, they don't, they don't speak our language and they don't understand us. And so that's really forced me to, you know, think differently and to be very open to hearing from women um, and our community members as often as possible. My goodness. You know, as I continue to hear you speak and kind of tell your story a little bit further, I think one of the biggest powers behind you is that you are a marketer at heart. And what I love about marketers, and I'm totally 100% biased because I'm also, <laughs> I also went, I was in marketing as well. But I think it's important, right? It's a good call out because what I always said to people is that we aren't marketers, right? It's all about knowing, understanding the behaviors of the consumer and doing everything that we can purely for the benefit of the consumer and always putting them first. And as I think about the way that you're approaching not only the business model, but also the brand itself, um, it, it really kind of lends into that perspective. So I'm sure that even in the earliest days of trying to create the brand itself, of creating Taboo, launching the name, trying to design it, trying to design the packages, designing the product, your experiences definitely certainly had a had a, a kind of a, an impact on that. What would you say is part of the most important parts of creating the Taboo brand? The most important parts of creating the Taboo brand um, were absolutely, I mean, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but was being willy, willing to shift and adjust based on what we were hearing from our community. So we did a ton of research in the beginning um, on everything from like what words resonate with you to what colors resonate with you to what other brands do you like? Why do you hate other brands? Like what, like we did a lot of user research in the early days to even build the baby brand as it was today. And we made certain choices like, you know, our taboo orange is because my mom's favorite color is orange and that was important to me. So that's like, you know, a personal, a personal thing. But I think that in creating a brand that speaks to our customer, we wanted it to feel relatable. So we wanted it to fill a need. We wanted it to feel really relatable, but we also needed it to feel premium because we wanted this to, if, if this is a buyer who generally would shy away from a sexual wellness product or think like, that's not really for me, that's a, for a younger woman, or that's not really where I'm at in my life. We wanted to feel, we didn't want her to feel intimidated when she opened, you know, her box, or we didn't want her to feel intimidated by the language that we used or things like that. And so 
as a brand, it was very important for us to be very clear, like, you'll never hear us be crude. You're never going to hear us be silly. Like, we're never going to be funny. Like, we may be clever sometimes and things like that, but it's always going to be very clean. It's always going to feel very dignified. Um, and so that's why we always made that comp back to, you know, the a, a skincare brand. One of the choices that we made was like the lubricant bottle. That was very intentional. And that came from a lot of user testing in the early days. And we decided to have it, you know, feel like a serum that you're putting on your face because it comes through in a glass dropper, which between me and you is not the most practical way to apply lubricant, you know, at all. But it is it makes it feel like this is something that you're doing for yourself that's very intentional. It makes you feel like this is like a practice. It's like a very... Um, you know, it's a very personal moment. And so we wanted to have that same type of tone with your intimate care as you do, you know, taking care of your skin. And so we made those types of choices. Um, I think as we continue to grow and iterate on the brand, I think we'll find ways to still honor that idea, but maybe make it a little bit more user friendly. That's one of those things that we haven't quite nailed quite yet. Um, but you'll see us, you know, evolve like the packaging in, in that in that regard. Wow, my goodness. So I think back at a lot of the brand work that perhaps like my I did at my team did, or I was just involved in conversations from an agency standpoint. And strangely enough, I've actually never heard anybody speak too much about creating the brand story and the brand ethos purely through the lens of the customer like you have. Um, truly actually going through the interviews. And I, I think for those that are in the marketing space, those brand discovery meetings are very lengthy and it, very talks, it really talks about like, what are the words that you like? What are the colors that you like? But the majority of the time, those answers are about the founder. Yeah. And I think that what was helpful for me, I mean, and I don't tell a lot of people this actually, but majority of the women in our user research um, in the beginning were Muslim women who were not born in this country and their first and only sexual partner was their husband. So if you think about one of the hardest people to acquire as a sexual wellness buyer, that was my cohort. Like that was my user research group. Because in my mind, I was like, if I can make a buyer out of you, I can make a buyer out of a lot of other people. So I, we were, you know, we were designing for the most difficult in our society in a, not in a negative way. These are my people, right? Like not the most, di the most difficult to acquire in the sexual wellness space, because I figured that those were the people that were the least represented by everyone else. And I think that a lot of other people fall into that category that we maybe not, you know, we, we potentially don't think of. Um, and so it was, it was a very interesting challenge. Like one of the things I learned is that women of this age group are really aspirational still. So they don't want you to show, you know, they don't want to see a 30-some-year-old woman, you know, marketing wrinkle cream. But they definitely don't want us, they don't want to buy something from a somebody that's not aspirational. So it's this balance. It's like, okay, so do you want, you want, they still want somebody older, but they want her to be really beautiful and they want her to be like out of reach. And then that kind of flies in the face of a lot of, of, you know, things that we've learned about brands in today's day and age, right? And so it's learning how to kind of really lean on your target consumer rather than going with, you know, the going narrative of how you build brands for today, because my target consumer requires something else, right? Like they, they have different requirements. So it's a bit of a balance. That definitely makes sense. So now I'm curious then. So when we're thinking about creating that core audience and that target audience, 
I hear it constantly, right? Where we're building these brands and these products and services that truly intentionally, like we want to be able to service the masses, right? We want this to be able to be accessible and be inclusive, maybe it'll be available for everybody. But the majority of the time too, and I think with realistically when it comes to initially launching the business and growing the business, you do need to have some sort of niche. So in your perspective, how do you create that core audience? How do you create that target audience? So I would say in the early days, like from a from a brand perspective, um, I mean, we were limited by resources. So, um, you know, when it came to who promoted our products and what the look and feel of our of our, um, you know, vibe overall was, I looked to my family. So like the people you see on our page are my mom. They're my aunt. They're like, I, I really did use the group of people that I was using to test the products and build the and build the brand and not everybody's going to do something like that but in that respect it was very true to who my target demographic was right I was using the people that I know the people that I was actually trying to serve ultimately um to really bring the brand to life in the early days as we now stretch beyond that I think it's more about how do you find, you know, how do you how do you be as inclusive as possible, right? And and make sure that everyone feel the, the people in my niche feel represented, but still check the boxes of um, you know, the core requirements that my buyer is looking for. And so a lot of that I think comes back to when we're going through this rebrand exercise that we're doing right now, um, every phase of that rebrand, I bring that cohort back in and I, and I learned and I allow them to be a part of that process. And you see that they're, you know, what they like stretches too, because many of them have never been part of this process before. Right. And so I think that it's a little bit, I think requiring or, you know, leaning on feedback loops as much as you possibly can has been key to us. And, um, they continue to surprise me in terms of like what they respond to and, and what, um, what resonates. Oh, that's so powerful. It's definitely this common thread between um, really always putting the customer's mindsets, behaviors, and needs at the forefront. So I guess along those same lines then, as you think about expanding the core audience and really expanding the brand to be more and more inclusive than it already is today, right? Because it definitely is. I'm sure that education and community is, is going to play a very critical role in that growth. So when you think about educating the masses on this opportunity, you touched on it from the very beginning, right? Of almost the the hurdles and the, the obstacles that you're having to go through from in, in day-to-day conversations. How do you think about opening those conversations? I would say at the, the highest level, what we're trying to bring to market is this idea of a sexual wellness routine. And just like you have your skincare routine and your exercise routine and your diet, you should, every every woman we believe should have a sexual wellness routine as well because it's so connected to our overall health and well-being. And so with that as kind of a framing what we focus on from there are the problems. We focus on the symptoms that you're experiencing that are getting in the way of you prioritizing that routine. Those issues are, you know, low libido, dryness, atrophy, incontinence, um, low body confidence. Those are the types of things that are getting in the way of you, um, you know, really able to like honor that routine over time. And so what we're focusing on from an educational perspective and just like a a general, you know, um, how we appeal to people is we're trying to find people that fall into those categories. So we're trying to say, are you experiencing X? 
we have a product for it, right? And so right now, our, our current product most closely maps to atrophy because our, our personal massager mimics the function of a dilator, which is a commonly used medical device to, to you know address that concern. But there are a lot of other symptoms surrounding this. So there's issues of like tissue health. And so in order to really improve, you know, improve your atrophy, you need to start with an external stimulator, as an example, before graduating to something that you can use internally. Um, things for, you know, to make partnered sex more comfortable. Things for libido. So creating products that kind of map to specific symptoms to kind of evolve with your needs over time, not only I think helps us create like a reason for all of these, you know, um, products in your sexual wellness repertoire, but it also helps us to appeal to a larger array of people because you may be dealing with low libido as a 30-year-old woman or a 25-year-old woman. You may be dealing with, um, you know, atrophy right, right after baby, right? And so instead of saying, okay, this is a product for a menopausal woman, right, whomever she is and whatever she's experiencing, we're saying this is a product for the specific symptom that you're experiencing. And as that symptom changes over time and your needs change over time, hopefully we'll be able to give you additional, you know, product recommendations and advice, um, you know, as, as our journey with you continues. That's amazing because I almost feel like too, by creating more of this personalized, for lack of better words, like questionnaire, uh, not only are the consumers learning more about the solutions that they have readily available for them, but also from a business standpoint, I'm sure too that you're even learning more about how women's bodies are changing and how not all sexual wellness routine is certainly the same whatsoever. Is that is that right? Oh my goodness. I, I can't tell you. I I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I mean, imposter syndrome is a totally real no matter who you are, but it is especially true when you're trying to create solutions for problems that you have not yet experienced, but that I know I am very likely to experience, right? And so I think by being a woman who's not quite there quite yet, I'm able to ask all the stupid questions. I get to be, you know, in office hours and I get to ask all the dumb questions that everybody feels like, oh, I should probably know this by 40 or I should probably know this by 60. I can be like, what is that? And how does this work? And why is this happening? And what is incontinence? Explain it to me. You know, I think I, I'm able to approach this from a educate me so that I can help, you know, kind of be the, the mouthpiece for all of these other women. And I can't tell you how many things I've learned. I mean, I think that it's really shocking how we don't know so much about our own bodies. And I don't think that's anybody's fault. I think that we're just like learning to feel more comfortable talking about it. Um, one of my advisors likes to say, you know, women are healthier, wealthier, and more powerful than at any point in history. And so I think that that is why you have women kind of demanding more from this season in life. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's just, it it. It is so important for us to be willing to have these conversations now, not only for the women that we love, but also for our future selves, for our daughters and things like that. I mean, we often talk about how this is, you know, the birds and the bees talk you never had. And that's, I never even had the first one, you know what I mean? So it's very uncomfortable for me to have any of these conversations. But the more you do it, it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the more, you know, willing you're willing you are to continue to have the conversations and just to kind of realize that, Everyone feels uncomfortable about it, and that's okay. And that's you know, some people are very confused by why we call ourselves taboo, and then some people totally understand it. And I think that that polarization is 
you know, very emblematic of why we are who we are. We're for the people that totally understand it. If you think that taboo makes you think that we think that this is shameful, then we're probably not the sexual wellness brand for you. And I have to be comfortable accepting that, right? We're for the people that feel the taboo and we're saying that's okay, but that doesn't mean that it's not important and that you shouldn't, you know, address these needs. My goodness. Well, this has been amazing. So I'm curious then future facing for Taboo. Any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you? We do have some exciting things. Um, we are, you know, working through a rebrand right now. It'll still feel like us, but it'll be a bit more refined. Um, and that's launching in Q3, fingers crossed. You, as you know, these things always take longer than you want them to. Um, we also have a couple more products that we're developing um, that will also launch in Q3. And um, we're, you know, doing some, some stuff in the services camp that you can expect in, uh, in the coming months as well. Oh, so excited for this. Well, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur or executive, what would you share with them? Oh, man, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, I think that the simplest feedback I can give is or advice, excuse me, is um, there's no right time. There's no right time when you're going to feel ready or um, this is the perfect point in your life or like I know enough to do X. If you have a good idea and you have conviction and you have drive, you're just going to figure it out. Because even if you're the most experienced or, um, you know, I don't know, well-rounded person out there, you're still going to go through moments where you feel like you have no idea what's going on. And so I think my advice would be just don't wait, jump, figure it out. And if you fail, it's been it, it's a beautiful experience either way. Amazing. Well, thank you, Natalie, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Taboo, a new kind of sexual wellness company for bodies that change. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.